Holy Father, you are the God who reigns forevermore. We are in awe of who you are, and we join with all of your creation in singing praises to you. We thank you for your deep love for us, love beyond anything we can understand or ask or imagine. We pray that through the power of your spirit, you would change us today and make us more like you. It is through your son's name that we pray. Amen. Scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 4, starting at verse 32, and goes through chapter 5, verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully work in them all that, were, that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to the test of the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. 
I you to take a moment and uh, look around, maybe introduce yourself to someone, share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. I'm not going anywhere, just grabbing this. You're sitting there thinking, oh, we're off today, good. So what comes to your mind when the church starts talking about money? Here we go again. That's all the church talks about. That's all the church wants. You know, our struggle with money and the church's concept of money and talking about money and thinking about money is not limited to the 21st century. The whole issue and struggle of resources and money goes back, well, probably to the beginning, but at least to the beginning of the church. When we get this picture painted for us of the early church, we find a dichotomy of people. On the one hand, you have this group of people, uh, you have the disciples and the majority of them, who it's said of them, they, whatever they have, they share with each other. Somebody has a need, I got the answer to that. And people were bringing stuff to the disciples. People like Barnabas were selling fields and bringing the proceeds and putting it at the disciples' feet and saying, you know who has needs? Give it out as you need to give it out. And no one, it says, had a need among them. That blows my mind. This was a generous group of people. And then we come to the story in chapter 5 that quite frankly is one of those head turners. We don't always... At the end of the reading, not everyone says, this is the word of the Lord. And I found it interesting that we as a congregation had a little bit of a hard time saying, thanks be to God. There's a part of me that wants to say, thanks be to God, I think. Because that's a crazy story. It, it, it is an anomaly. There are not very many stories in Scripture where someone says, hey, you did something wrong, and they fall over dead. And actually, it seems to me that there are a whole lot worse things people do that they might end up falling over dead for. And yet, here's this couple, sell, they sell a field, they tell the disciples, here's what we sold it for, only that wasn't the truth. They kept back some of the prophets, but they wanted to look more generous than they were. And Peter confronts them and two funerals. Someone was asking me uh, earlier, do you think Peter understood what was happening when he said, hey, you just lied to the Holy Spirit, and he was expecting that to happen, or when 
Ananias fell. He went, oh my, what just happened here? But the bottom line is, it's one of those stories that confuses us, and it, it does make it clear that it's dangerous to pretend to be more generous than you are. That, that's at least something we get out of this story, right? But the reality is we're always trying to pretend that we're more than we are. I mean, it's human nature. We, we want people to think that we're smarter than we are. We want people to think that we're more talented than we are. We want people to think that we're more generous than we are. We want people to think that, that we are more compassionate than we are. I mean, it's, it's our human nature. But at some point in that struggle of human nature, we cross a line from just hoping people think we're better than we are to really being untruthful about it. And here's the reality. When it comes to generosity and our resources, I'd like to think that you're looking at me and you're saying to yourselves, he has to be the, the most generous person in the room. Because he's talking about generosity. But the truth is, I doubt if I am. I wrestle with being generous just like you do. I, I hoard things and I hold on to things and I, and I struggle with being stingy and selfish and not wanting to be generous just like you do because all of us deal with it. All of us struggle with it. It is the human condition. And, if, and this story, I think, is trying to help us understand that when it comes to our resources, we're either generous or we're selfish. And if we're selfish, it leads to death. And if we're generous, it leads to life. We say, well, yeah, but not necessarily immediately. Well, no. But the whole point, the whole idea of, of being selfish and being absorbed with what we have and grasping it and holding on to it and hoarding it and being stingy with it is going to create within us a heart of selfishness. And a selfish heart always leads us away from God. You, you cannot help it. And a generous, selfless heart is going to lead us toward God. And away from God is the journey of death where we begin to slowly erode and rot. And the life of generosity leads us to freedom and peace. I think the story is trying to help us see that. That yes, in this instance, from what they did to death was fast forward. But the reality is, all of us who are living our lives selfishly with our, about our resources and about who we are, we are, we are creating an atmosphere in which we are slowly but surely moving toward And God gives us these kinds of stories to wake us up. To cause us to say, wait a second, that's not where I want to end up. I don't want to end up, end, go to come to the end of my life having all kinds of stuff and all kinds of talents and all kinds of time. But be dead to what is truly important. I think one of the one of the underlying ideas that we find in this passage is in the very first verse where 
of, of verse 32, where it says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Everything they had was not theirs, and so they could give it away. Now, in one sense, it's, well, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine, and we, we work with that. But I think there's a deeper sense of them understanding that everything they have is from God. Everything they have, God has given them. Everything they had is a blessing of God. It's not really theirs. They are stewards. They're managers. They're keeping it for God. And when God says, it's mine, and I want you to give it away, you give it away. The problem comes when we think what we have is really ours, not God's. That's when we start hoarding and hanging on and clutching and grasping and because we don't want to let go. And we're like little children who are going around the house yelling, mine, 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 mine. Not realizing that everything they have has been given to them freely. And everything we have has been given to us by the grace of God. He's poured out abundant blessings on us. It's all from His. It's all from Him. And and we are stewards of what He's given us. And if we could get that into our minds, it would make such a huge difference in being willing to be generous with it. Because God is not saying to us, look, now I gave that to you. Don't you dare give that to anybody else. God is saying, I've given this to you I want you to give it to everyone you can. And of course, the underlying idea is whatever we give away of God's, he will meet the needs that that giving away brings to us. God doesn't say, give it away and then you're on your own. Because you be generous with whatever I've given you, the talent you have, your time, your money, your energy, whatever you have, you be generous with it and I'll make sure you have what you need to keep doing what you need to do. See, in many ways, being generous is rooted in our understanding of who God is. And people who are generous have a sense of, I believe God is good and gracious and he, and he loves to bless us. And people who are selfish and hoard and are stingy tend to think God is selfish and hoards and is stingy. He doesn't really want to give me anything. See, at the heart of, of all of what we talk about stewardship is the idea that we're really just bearing witness to the image of God in us. We're trusting God. And often what happens is we, we become fearful. I don't know of anyone that I would, when I think of people, if I think of someone who is fearful, I don't tend to think that they're also generous. Because people who are fearful are rarely ever generous. Because the fear absorbs us and the fear causes us to put our hands around whatever resources we have and to lock them up and to hold them tight because we're afraid we're going to lose them. That's why Jesus keeps telling his disciples, do not fear. In Luke chapter 12, he says, don't fear my little flock because your father gives your 
it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. The purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. I love that imagery. Your treasure is safe. We don't need to fear. And I think the problem is we, we aren't really locked on God. We don't really trust God. Isn't it interesting? It's interesting to me that in this, in this passage at the end of chapter 4, <clears throat> where it talks about the believer sharing everything and giving everything and donating everything, right in the middle of that is verse 33, and it says, The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. And there were no needy people among them. It's almost as though he has stuck that sentence in there to remind us that these are people who are focused on Jesus. And when you're focused on Jesus, you can be generous. Because that's who Jesus is. When Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, look, the church in Jerusalem is in great need and, and I need you to, I want you to take an offering for them. He doesn't demand it. He doesn't say, look, I'm, I started that church. You're going to do what I tell you. He simply makes this argument. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who is rich but for your sakes became poor? Out of his poverty, you've become rich. So, Take some of the riches that have come to you because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and let's help our brothers and sisters. It's not guilt. You know, sometimes when we talk about money, there's this whole thing of guilt that feels laid on us that, oh man, it's one more thing. I'm not doing right. And it's not hopelessness. I could never do that. I could never really be generous. He's simply saying, look at Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And when you do, you'll see how generous he is. You'll see all of his grace to you. You'll remember all the ways in which he has supplied your needs. And he's been there for you and cared for you. And when you focus on that, it's a lot easier to be generous with whatever you have. Henry Nouwen, in his, his great book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, says that there are some characteristics of the father that we see in the parable. And one of them is generosity. When you look at the father in that story, he is, he is irresponsibly generous. He is recklessly generous with both of his boys. Generosity just oozes out of him every moment, every step of the journey that both of those sons take. And, yet, and, and now and says... Every time we take a step toward generosity, we are taking a step toward being like the Father. Every time we take a step toward generosity, we are becoming more and more like the Father. Because we're taking on the characteristics of the Father. And no one is more generous than God is. No one. And when we begin to understand that... Our mindset changes because I think a lot of times we have this mindset, how little can I be, how little can I be, can I give and still be okay with God versus how generous can I be and still survive? When I read about the disciples 
it seems to me that their mindset is, how generous can we be and still survive? And Ananias and Sapphira are saying, how stingy can I be with God and still be safe? If we're going to be like God, then we take on that posture of generosity. I'm convinced that our view of God makes the difference. And sometimes our view of God is that God is in heaven saying, how stingy can I be with these people and still convince them to worship when the God of the scriptures and the God of history and the God of everyone, every every instance we've ever seen of him is continually shouting from the mountaintops with his words and his actions, how generous can I be with these people even though they continue to ignore me and reject me? Because the truth of the matter is generosity is who God is. It is not something God has to manufacture. Generosity is not something that God says, well, I guess I better do that this time. Generosity is just the nature and the character of God. It's what he does because it's who he is. And this God who is so generous, irresponsibly generous, recklessly generous with us, is saying, will you trust me enough to be generous and believe that I'm going to continue to be generous with you? In his book, Run With the Horses, Eugene Peterson tells of taking a walk one day out in the woods and he came across a little little lake, small lake, And he sat down by the bank and he was just sort of enjoying creation. And he looked around and he noticed there was a branch, a dead branch, sticking out from a tree out over the water. And on this branch was a family of sparrows. There were five of them, two parents and three three little chicks. And apparently, as he watched, this was the day when these little chicks were going to learn to fly. And so one of the adults... uh, got on the branch, the three chicks were, were, got on the inside of the branch, and he just began to nudge those chicks toward the end of the branch. And he's just pushing them. And they keep moving, and he keeps pushing, and they keep moving, keep pushing and moving until you get to the end. And the one on the end is just barely hanging on to the end of the branch. And it pushes one more time, and he falls off the end. And he, he rockets like a stone to the water, four or five feet below. But just before he gets there... His wings start flapping, and he picks himself up, and off he goes. So the parent keeps pushing, pushing more, pushing more. And the second one gets to the end of the branch, same story. Finally, just pushes it off the end, it rockets to the water, begins flapping its wings, and off it goes. That third sparrow had, was clear was not going to be bullied like that. That third sparrow was pushed to the end and it was holding tight and it was not going anywhere. 
the, the parent kept pushing and it just sat there. It finally released its grip just enough to flip under the branch and was now hanging like this and gripped it tight again. So you got this bird hanging like this on the branch while the, the parent is trying to shove it off the end. It wasn't moving. But instead of giving up, the parent bent over those talons on the branch and began to peck away at them with the beak. And just pecking and pecking and pecking and pecking and pecking and hitting and hitting and hitting until finally the pain of that was worse than the fear of falling. And the little sparrow let go. And that thing just rocketed toward the water just like its siblings. And just before it hit the surface of the water, it began to flap its wings and it flew off. And Peterson said, I watched that whole scene take place. He said, I thought to myself, you know, birds can walk, birds can run, birds can hang on things. But birds were created to fly. Birds were given wings to fly. Birds were created to soar in the sky. That's why they were made. He said, I got to thinking about my own life and the life of people I know. And and we're a lot like those little sparrows. We hang on to that branch, the branch of our bank account. We hang on to the dead branch of of hoarding our talents. We hang on to the dead branch of, of my time is my own. And all the while we have forgotten That we were created to be generous. We were created to give, not to hoard. We were created to be selfless, not selfish. We were created to soar in the freedom of being generous people like our Father. It's a struggle. We all wrestle with it. We all wrestle with seeing the big picture of being generous. But the reality is, if we want to live life in freedom, if we want to live in peace and a spirit of joy and be people of grace, And people who truly know life. And we choose generosity. Because that's who God is. And that's what God does. And it's what he's asking of every one of us. Not to harm us. Not to be a sacrifice to set us free. This is one of those subjects that I think it's good to think about it and it's good to ponder it. But quite frankly, generosity isn't something we just think about. It's something we do. I don't think we know anyone who we say, boy, they really think about generosity a lot. 
They don't do it, but they think a lot about it. No, what triggers generosity is seeing it. And as I was pondering this week about how we respond to this, I think, I think it's important to, to do something. And so at the end, each end of the rows, inside and outside, there are some three-by-five cards, and I want you to pass those to the people in your row. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write on the card something like this. I sense God leading me to be more generous about. I sense God leading me to be more generous about. And then we're going to take uh, 60 seconds or so to think, to pray, to listen. Some, we're going to put some things on the slide here, that some, some possibilities of things that God might be prompting us. Because again, it's not just about money. That's important. Money is important and, and it's significant and it can get us. It's not insignificant that this is the first sin that the church has to deal with, is money. But sometimes our time, it, we, we are more apt to hoard our time than we do our money. Or we hoard our gifts and abilities and we hoard our energy. And sometimes what we're selfish and stingy about is the kind of people we might want to help. Whatever God may be saying to you, we don't have to do everything but something. So in these next 60 seconds or so, let's just think and ponder and then write something on your card. If you can't think of anything right at the moment, then before you go to bed tonight, write something on your card about how God may be prompting you to be a little more willing to be generous. Father, give us wisdom, courage, trust to be generous because it's who you are. Direct us, lead us, guide us. And we ask this through Christ.
please stand and sing with us. Take my life and let it be take a minute and pray for our ministry volunteers. If uh, you are involved in a ministry in the church, might be music, might be teaching, helping, you're part of a, a group that plans activities, a committee, maybe you deliver meals on wheels, or you go to the nursing home, or lead a Bible study, whatever the case may be, if you're involved in a ministry that's connected to the church here, uh, Koinonia, uh, please stand, and we want to just offer a, a word of prayer for you, and then we'll uh, offer our prayer, corporate prayer together. So if you're involved in a ministry, please stand. Father, thank you for every person standing here with us today. Thank you for their willingness to serve you and your church and your kingdom. Pray that you would give them grace to fulfill their duties, wherever those may be. Keep their hearts open and sensitive to you with a desire and a passion to represent you and to know you 
and to be filled with your spirit. Father, we pray that you will bless each of them as they interact with others. Fill them with compassion and love and grace. And quite frankly, Father, may the witness of their ministry inspire us to our ministry. To do what we are being called to do. Serve you and your kingdom through the grace of Christ. Pour out your blessing on each of them. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to spend some time now praying for our needs in the world. And if you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, maybe you want to come today and pray about uh, what God may be prompting you about in terms of being generous. Please come and join me as we pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives and for your invitation to pray. To come to you with the burdens and concerns in our hearts and in our world. Father, we pray for our struggles, ask for your grace in the midst of them. We pray for the burdens that weigh heavily upon us. For some, it's health concerns. For some, it is grief and loss. Some, it is the breaking down of a relationship. Perhaps it is a challenge before us, uh, academically, professionally, that is, is gripping us with fear. Maybe it's something about the future. Maybe it's what you want us to, how you want us to be more generous. Lord, help us to sense you giving us grace and mercy and peace and strength. Give us healing and help us to trust. Father, we pray for this world in which we live and the the constant barrage of problems. So many people, in fact, in a sea of hurting people. We pray, Father, that you will make your church, our church, a river of compassion and peace and truth and justice. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who live with opposition and persecution. Comfort and strengthen them. We pray for the Southern Tier Youth for Christ and the outreach that it has had for many years and continues to have. We pray as they reach out to schools and the communities and to young people and their families and we ask that you would work miraculously as you alone can do. Father, we thank you for your grace upon us. Give us hearts that are continually open to you through the power of your Spirit. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loves us, went to the cross for us, is risen from the dead, and ascended to be with you that he may come and take us to be with him. It's in his strong and powerful name we pray. Amen. We have an opportunity now to give back.
just a little bit of all that God has lavished on us as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings.
think about those cards that you've written down something on. If you have a, a skill, an ability, if you have something that you realize that the church could help you connect with people who have needs, we need to know that you have an interest, an ability, a willingness. Um, so if, you, if you've written down something like that, we're trying to create a database of people who can help, people who are in need, and we get needs all the time. Send an email to me or to the office, any of the staff people, and we will get you on that list and help you uh, with the uh, being more generous as a church. Help us be more generous as a church. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now forevermore.